Do you get started? Yeah. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Mhm. Mm right. mm -hmm. I feel like the p pillows might be, well, the cushions might be detrimental at some yeah. point. That's my pet hate, you know, people get cushion pillows the wrong way around. What do you mean? A cushion oh, is. Ouch! No, that's, but, that's a cushion's a, this, a pillow's that. That's your pet hate. Yeah, that's the one thing. Most things I can let go, but that bothers me. It's a bit like me with lolly ice, nice lolly. It's lolly ice. It's ice lolly. It's lolly ice. It's lolly ice. Who says lolly ice? It's lolly ice. You just all need to have a word with yourselves. Why would you say ice after lolly? Because it's still a lolly. Yeah, but it's an iced lolly. Oh, behave yourselves. If you get an iced coffee, do you say coffee? Welcome to the latest episode of Med Talk Podcast. My name is Rhys Armstrong and I'm here with Ian Bolland and Laura Hughes. This episode we're going to be talking all things life sciences and digital health. Um, so yeah, let's just get uh, straight into it. What have we been, uh, what's everyone been up to? I've absolutely no idea what I've been up to. Um, <laughs> not a clue. Not a clue. Um, interesting report, Yep. Yeah. This RB report. What did you make of it? Um... Well, let's just go through it a little bit first. It's um, a new report by a company called RB in line with um, Future Healthcare, Future Laboratory, a couple of uh, different um, organisations, Medical Futurist as well. And um, basically it details 14 different technologies which could contribute to global healthcare, um, the ways in which it will revolutionise the way we sort of uh, live and look after ourselves. Um, and yeah, some really interesting things uh, in there. Um, just to start off with, uh, sort of references uh, the health needs of populations around the world. So things like how artificial intel intelligence will uh, play a part, wearables, um, everything from um, other things such as like personalised medicines and 3D printing. Um, but yeah, so what, what we've been doing is just looking into it. We've been sort of uh, picking out some of our favourite points and also just um, looking at the different stories related to some of these technologies that are sort of going about in the world of medtech uh, at the moment. So, Ian, I know you've sort of went through it this afternoon. What did you, what did you find out? Um, interesting question, in all honesty, because um, especially under wearables for self-diagnosis, um, there was an interesting quote I pulled out saying, the power is in the data, not the devices. So, regardless of uh, how good the technology is going forward, there is always going to be a degree of human knowledge and education that's going to be behind implementing these well. Um, it's a bit like the age-old adage of the saying, oh, robots are going to take over the world mm. when it comes to AI and robotics. It's not really they're probably going to be there to support them. Humans are going to be at the forefront of delivering all this healthcare and making sure that these, this technology can be used well. Yeah, definitely. It's still really early days for like uh, artificial intelligence as well and robotics. I know we're seeing a lot of that uh, technology being utilised within sort of surgeries and hospital hospitals at, at the moment but it's still um certainly not up to the point now where um they can be sort of used by themselves for, yeah, for yeah. diagnosis it's more of a process thing rather than a start and finish point yeah and mm. um, i think that's quite an important point actually uh, i was i was reading an article in stat um earlier today which references a conference uh, in boston and a harvard law school professor uh, called jonathan zetrin um starts talking about how artificial intelligence within healthcare um, 
can lead to sort of false di uh, conclusions within diagnosis. Um, he gives the example of how a Google algorithm uh, is tricked into thinking that a picture of a tabby cat was actually some guacamole. <laughs> um. <laughs> that actually came up at a conference I was at really? recently, yeah. I mean, there's also mentioned in the report, if you go further down under AI diagnosis, that there was a certain app that achieves 81% on a diagnosis exam. Well, the poor 19% then, because it needs to be 100% if it's going to be successful anyway. Yeah, definitely. You don't want anything below 100% for any type of diagnosis, I suppose, unless it's a minor ailment, like a cold, I suppose, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think there's also, uh, this report especially, I think, overblows uh, a little bit um, of the technology which is in there. Um, it's certainly uh, sort of like a, a good outlook, but we're not really up to up to speed with any any of the advancements as of yet. I, I think anyway. But. I wouldn't say it overblows it. I would say that the, like many of these reports, there is a statement of aspiration of where they think this technology can go. Yeah. Um, will it be followed in practice? Well, that requires resource. That requires governments to have brains and look at the world at the moment. Um, <laughs> Basically, it needs a lot for it to go right for for even ten percent of this to be implemented. Mm. Yeah, and like some of this is being implemented. We're seeing sort of like wearables and, and, and data being used within healthcare, um, a bit more. But at the same point, um, you know, data from wearables. Um, this article, this article from Stat mentions that it's um, it's really hard to make that information private. So a person's gait, for instance, and um, the data collected from a wearable is instantly recognisable to, um, uh, compared to somebody else's. So, anonymised data is really difficult to achieve uh, through, through wearables. That's a big barrier. Yeah, especially in, in the medical field, when Definitely. patient records are always anonymous, apart from obviously to yourself, but to the wider system. Oh, where patients are asking, they have to give you access to their medical records in hospitals and things. So to have that just out there. Yeah. So it's... I wonder if that's like an unforeseen barrier that hasn't popped up in that conversation about wearables. Because, I mean, in the pharma uh, market, you're seeing wearables starting to be used within sort of like real-world trials to get more accurate data to avoid that sort of like white coat syndrome of um, uh, the clinical setting. Yeah. So... Hands off who suffers from white coat syndrome. My hand's gone up. That's yours? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. like going to the doctors or the dentist or anything like that, but I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it affects my blood pressure or anything, but some people, their the readings are skewed. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's probably, it's probably sort of feeds into something that we've covered in this report in the, um, when they say wearables for self-diagnosis, a lot of it is actually real-time monitoring that you seem to see today, like with blood pressure and diabetes, <clears> but... Yeah, my blood pressure really, really spikes when I go to the doctors. Really? I don't think I just, just don't think I like the setting. Yeah, well, I wonder if it's um, because like there's loads of technologies nowadays where you can monitor yourself at home. Yeah, I mean, I had to wear twenty four hour monitor just to clear up any anomaly. Really? Yeah. Like just to get the um, like an average. Yeah. Wow, that's that's interesting. Yeah, it was annoying to have it on you all day though. I mean, you, you see it where you drop off and you see the reading just go boom. Yeah. Was it like a, um, an online type of I, digital? I, do that. I couldn't tell you. It was way before I started working here and getting was interested it? in this sort wow. of thing. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, yeah. So, uh, I guess just before we get any deeper, I was in a, I was in London last week, um, just talking about like cool technology. I um, I was in 
John Bell in Croydon Pharmacy um, to get my organs scanned. Very fancy. Yeah, really, really fancy pharmacy. Are you healthy? Uh, I'm pretty healthy, but I mean, I mean, I just want to talk about the fanciness of this pharmacy <laughs> first because. Go on, how fancy is it? Right. Do you know mobility scooters? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a gold-plated one there. But you had great fun on that. Well, you know, I wasn't allowed to ride it. Uh, <laughs> well, that's all the fun taken out of that, then. I'm not going to let somebody from the north, northeast just jump on it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, super fancy pharmacy. Sorry, that's just somebody making a cup of tea next door. Um, well, it gives me a chance to slow mine. Yeah. <laughs> no, but anyway, I was down there to um, test out this new 3D scanning technology, um, which essentially monitors the fluid around a person's organs to sort of like, you know, assess uh, holistically a person's um, health. Uh, yeah, all, all good um, on, on my side of things, but it's sort of like monitored. Uh, it's what, what's called interstitial fluid. So it goes through things like uh, your calcium, potassium, uh, sodium and iron, and they attach uh, a couple of sensors to your feet, your hands and your forehead. And that's to, I guess, I guess get like an entire outlook of your body. Uh, re really interesting sort of um, stuff, especially sort of like how uh, insightful it goes into uh, one's own sort of like functions, I guess. Um, even on like the neurological s side, it could see like where some things might not have been right over the past couple of years with me. And it was like, well, you know, it pointed that out to me um, and I just wasn't expecting it. So it was just really, really in depth. But what it is, um, as a service, it's £180 for a 90-minute session, um, it'll sort of like monitor your bodily functions, uh, your weight, your BMI, and then the doctor will sort of like follow up with you on dietary supplements, sort of like um, what you should be doing if you need to, to get, you know, back into uh, a normal, healthy, functional lifestyle. So £180 for 90 minutes, that might not be good for your health. Sounds a bit like going to the Champions League final. <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess it's for, well, I guess for most people who have that type of money just to, to spend on health service, but it's not, I don't think it was too bad actually for, for what it was and how in-depth it was, that, that price wasn't overly surprising. I think if you go to other like private institutions for like a, a full checkup, they are quite, quite pricey. You must admit when you actually said the figure, I thought it might be higher. Yeah, when exactly. You come to the detail. Well, before I went and I was looking into it, I was thinking you know, 300, 400 pound for that type of service usually. Um, so yeah, I thought it was pretty good. And the follow-up price is cheaper, isn't it? I think the follow-up is maybe 110 pounds. Yeah. Um, and that's for another hour session. And is this with a nutritionist or a doctor? A doctor. Um, yeah, a doctor. I can tell you her name if I have my sheet. Um, I think it was Vidi Patel. Um, and she just sort of like took me through everything from how your organs are functioning and how stressful you are. Um, and then she could guide me on if I did need to take any supplements to uh, get more exposure to vitamin C, vitamin D, whatever uh, you need. Um, but she was really sort of like, really cautious about whether you actually needed to um, take any anything and she wouldn't just randomly sort of uh, say, oh, you need to be taking bloody um, tea tree oil or something like that, if you, if you didn't need to. Is this a new thing then? The technology itself isn't new. It's um, similar technology to what's used in an ECG. 
uh, but it, when this was developed, I think um, the doctor mentioned that it was developed about 10 years ago, but it was originally used for diagnosing autism, because of the neuro neurological sort of um, affects of it. Um, but then, maybe the clinical data wasn't good enough for it, so they have transferred it to this holistic type of healthcare service. Um, which, yeah, I think it's quite a good offer. I know, like, certainly, like, if something's been bothering me, but it's maybe not, maybe you don't want to go to the doctors about it. Or maybe not, like, not want to go to the doctors about it, but you're a bit more just, am I healthy? It's, it's, it's a good offer if you have that type of spare cash line about, and if that's what you're, what you're into. Well, you'd pay 180 quid for an MOT, so... Yeah, exactly, and, you know, this might keep you alive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, one thing that um, did, did come up... Um, when I, when I was speaking to the doctor and we went through sort of, uh, you know, what was good, what was bad, we went through some of my insulin levels, my uh, um, eye, aldose, cortisol levels and stuff like that, serotonin, and then she mentioned that my testosterone levels were, um, even my testosterone levels were, were good. Emphasis on even there, listeners. A little bit, yeah. Um, so I don't know what type of impression I gave, but yeah, thankfully, you know, you know yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty alright. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I'm glad to know you're alright. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely recommend it for anyone who's uh, interested in sort of like health and wellbeing services. Worth a look. Um, and we've got some nice uh, moisturisers available in store now. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's not an advert. I'm just being nice because they gave me some nice moisturisers. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, back to the report. What were we up to? Um, so we got past wearables and data. What else where have you been looking at? I've, I've, I've got some quirky wearables, but I think I'll save them to the end, um, or more towards the end. Oh, come on, do the quirky wearables now. All right, I'll tell you what, I'll do one now, okay. and then we'll sort of like intersperse them. Um, all right, the quirkiest one, which does have a really good use case for it, but it doesn't sound like it at first, right? It's, it's a wearable called D3. Um, which is a device that uses ultrasound to monitor and detect the movement of a bladder to predict when you need to go to the toilet. Actually doesn't sound dissimilar to something we might be featuring in one of our magazines in the really? future. Yeah, the, well, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but it, it was what we saw was going to, was going to be used in the clinical setting all, all being well. But, right. Um, yeah, it was basically monitoring water in, intake and what's What's going in and out of it, really. Was, oh, okay. But, yeah, I mean, things like that can be useful in a, hot, in a clinical sense, certainly. Yeah, well, when I, I was reading the CES coverage from this year, so mm. February, I think, January, February, that's usually on. January. Yeah, January. Yeah. Um, yeah, and at first it was just wearable to, you know, predict when you need to go to the toilet, which I think we're all pretty good at on our side. You know, I think I know when I need to go to the toilet or not. But you're a healthy adult. But I'm a healthy adult, right? Exactly. Proven um, healthy adult. Proven healthy adult. <laughs> Apart from potentially my testosterone levels. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, this is like intended for sufferers of incontinence, um, which I guess makes sense. So for, it yeah. gives you almost like a warning of you know when it's going to happen. Yeah, so you, you can get yourself 
you know, to where you need to be. You can improve their quality of life because then we can go on trips and go out. Yeah, exactly. Like that, and not worrying. be worried about that and, you know, stressed all the time. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely got a really good use case. Yeah, I wouldn't put that down as quirky at all. That is very useful. No. It, um, it yeah, does definitely. sound odd initially, though. I do you know what you mean. Yeah, like, when it was described as a wearable to predict when you need to, need to go to the toilet, I was like, oh, I think I've got that down. <laughs> <laughs> 26 years of training. <laughs> I get the feeling you're not the target market. Though. Yeah, no, I don't think I am. But yeah, definitely, um, definitely a good product. Um, should be helpful for you know a lot of air people suffering from yeah. incontinence. Is that out now? Then is that a product that's launched? Um, I'm not sure if it was if it is out now. Um, it might be if it was previewed at CES, might be out this year sometime. But um, if anyone does want to look into it, then the product is just called um, D3, um, exactly how you think it will be spelled. Um, yeah, give it a look. Anyway. Um, Ian, you've got a bit on personalised medicine, which was mentioned in the report. It was just the aspect of drugs getting printed in a unique quantity, shape and dosage that's tailored to your body. I mean, is this a case of limiting, limiting side effects on people? or? Um, I think it's more to do with... Because over the past sort of decade or so, technology has advanced so far that we're able to map the genome now. So an entire person's DNA strand, essentially... Um, which can then sort of give out certain biomarkers for how treatments would correlate to a certain individual. Mm. Um, so I think it's more targeting individual sort of like bodies to to certain drugs and certain sort of quantities of drugs um, or certain types of formulations. And then as a result, there'll be less side effects, won't there? Yeah. But as always, with something like this, it's going to be an inevitable trial and error. Before you go. Well, personalised medicines are on the market now, but they're more for... So, for instance, Novartis has just launched um, um, a, a gene therapy for spinal muscular atrophy, um, which is for a really small um, part of the population, of the glo- overall global population. So I think in the, in the US it might be as low as 1,000 children benefit from its drugs. Um, so that's that could be personalised medicine because it's targeting you know a very small subsection of, of, of the world and it works in a certain way where it uses their um dna against it against the drug yeah. um in a really sort of basic description of how it works i'm sure that's not uh, how in the parts would tell me it works <laughs> it just uses dna that's all that's all it does um but that's personalized to that group isn't it that yeah subset, not to one person. not to one person but yeah that report's really interesting and that would be a really cool like feature in when when's this predicting it? Does it give a date for when it would be um, predicting it by? I didn't see any, no. any date but So it's a bit yeah, as you It's a bit it's a bit vague, but um also under the same bit there was uh, something that reminded me of a TV show that's on at the moment or has just finished actually. Mm. Um I the way I go through reports, by the way, listeners, is I usually take out quotes and then talk about the point that they make. One quote says, in the future, a miniaturised implantable device could be injected into the body. Have either of you two watched years and years? I haven't, but I know you've been, um, you've been on, 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 the, on the tube <laughs> recently checking it out. Sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> I just went back to 1980s. Sorry. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> I'm completely lost with that one. You stoned me. I thought you meant the physical tube. Oh, no, it was me. I was on. I was down yeah. London last week, so that was... Yeah. Ian's been travelling too, though. Oh, yeah, you've been travelling. Mm, I have a lot. I'm yeah. tired. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's, 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 that's probably my new personalised medicine. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole other story. Yeah. 
But anyhow. So, the, years and years. Yeah, miniaturized implantable device. There was actually one episode where a child in the family gets a mobile phone implanted into their hand. And obviously, it's not medical, but it was it was the practice of having immobile in, your in your hand and then you could just flick on and off without touching anything. It was it was disturb it was disturbing to a point where you could probably plausibly see it in a medical setting as well. Yeah, so that's like nowadays that's what's known as biohacking. Yeah. Um I feel like having a mobile in your hand is just a slightly lazy way lazier way of using a mobile. Like instead of just hold, holding it. To be fair though, if you actually look at every bit of technology that's within a mobile, mobile. We've, we've, we've gone lazier and lazier. Yeah. True. So yeah, this true. is not beyond the realms of possibility, surely. Yeah. yeah, and then there's sort of like you're talking about implants. There's, um, I'm sure there's studies out there where you can get sort of ingestible pills which can monitor, say, your in- insulin levels and can adjust accordingly um, for like diabetic patients how much insulin you, you need at uh, any given time. Yeah, I mean, oh. there are probably cases where it, it's probably more com- comfortable for any kind of drugs being administered that way yeah. rather than orally, for example. Yeah, or there's, um, there's ones for, I, I, don't, I don't think these are like on the market or anything, but I think they're um, for cancer patients where they're ingestible and they are delivered to the site of the tumour quicker. Mm-hmm. And it's more, it's more targeted medicine rather mm-hmm. than chemo, which just blasts the body. Um, this is you know direct to the site of, of a tumour for potentially better treatment. Um, so yeah, that's a really, that's, that is a really interesting uh, little facet from the report, and actually something which is we're we're seeing happening as well. And um, be interesting to see sort of like how that progresses in ten years time because I feel I feel like it's one of the more reasonable aspirations of the report. I think a, a reasonable aspirations being dramatised by modern day television. Yeah, you can probably see it coming around in about five years time. Yeah. <laughs> Black Mirror's definitely done an episode on it. Undoubtedly, I yeah. don't think I watch Black Mirror. I found it too disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> I quite like technology, and uh, I feel like it just puts a bit of a down on, on technology. <laughs> but, no, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty good. Um, poo. Laura. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Laura. My specialist topic. <laughs> I have been looking at poo transplant. Yep. Because this week there was a call um, for Australian poo banks for new donors um, because there's a big demand for poo. Just in general? Um, sort of like... Well, I think they're using it at the moment to treat people that have got Clostridium difficile associated diseases. So this condition is um, it's about bacteria mm-hmm. and it can cause things like diarrhoea and it's normally treated with antibiotics. And then you have a follow-up course as well. Right. But obviously with antibiotics, there's a time, so you have to complete the whole course and then complete a follow-up course. Yeah. And you've got resistance as well, and people having allergies to things like penicillin. But what they've discovered is that with the poo, you can do a faecal transplant, and then in two days, you've usually recovered from the infection. So it's much quicker, mm-hmm. and it's much easier, and prevents any resistance issues that we've got. So internally cheaper as well on the system, you'd assume? I think so, but I don't know if there's any cost associated with the faecal transplant. Yeah, with, with yeah, actual procedure know. itself. Um, that's it. So that's all about trying to change a person's microbiome to be more healthy. Is that yeah. pretty much your ins and outs? And they've also been using them in autism. Um, so they found that after two years it was improving symptoms and signs. Um, and obviously we've got the different transplant routes, so capsules um, and also like as an enema as well. But I also saw in the news that um, 
there was a trial and the FDA reported that someone's actually died because these obviously are very early stage in development. Mm-hmm. So the faecal transplants were not actually tested for the bacteria before they did the transplant. And then afterwards they've gone back and tested them following the fatality and they found that it was actually in the stools. That seems like a big oversight considering faeces is pretty much just bacteria. I know, and I was like. saying to um, Ian before that, you know, with blood transplants, we, we test them so thoroughly before we transplant blood into someone. Yeah, of course. I think with a faecal Why wouldn't you do the yeah. same? Interesting. Well, so I think they're at a very terrible, early stage. Yeah, really, if, if people are dying during trials, that's, um, oh, it's still experimental then almost. Um, but it seems like other studies show that it works. Yeah, the idea seems to be a good idea, Sound. and like you said, maybe a cheaper idea. Yeah. And it prevents a resistance issue, which is obviously huge. Yeah, that is huge at the moment. Um, any sort of uh, method that's ever going to reduce that is always going to be sort of like responded to pretty well, I would, I would, I would assume. Yeah. Um, but Australia, le- leading the way there. Yeah. Leading the way with poo. <laughs> There's a sporting reference to be made there, but I, th- I think I'll leave it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I mean, I've, I've got to be honest, all I did was I got distracted by quirky wearables within this report. I mean, um, following following on from talking about poo, should we talk about virtual relief? I mean, it's not exactly what you think <laughs> it is, but... Yeah, go on. <laughs> go on. I mean, we've covered virtual reality a lot, haven't we? Yeah, VR, ER, we've, um, we've, we've done it all. Yeah, so virtual, virtual reality uses a pain treatment. And I, I've come across it being used as a re- rehabilitation tool before. I mean, yeah. one of my first stories since joining the team was actually testing out rehabilitation, the rehabilitation kit using virtual reality for, for stroke patients. Yeah, and it's been, um, I think it was last year, there was a, a study for dementia patients. Yeah. Um, where it, it sort of uh, soothed them and helped them to sort of like uh, remember parts of their lives. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems to be a similar practice that for, in terms of virtual relief, I mean, the example that was given in the report was a burn victim can fly through snow mountains in VR and feel feel better about themselves. I mean, it, 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 it's taking people into different environments, I imagine. Yeah. Well, well what, that's um, a distraction technique. Um, from, I think I've seen this used in a few NHS trusts yeah. now. It, does, it doesn't feel new. No, no, it's, it's definitely... I think it's just gaining a bit more common ground now. But what it's intended for... Um, is because burn victims have to have their bandages changed so often during the day, they use VR as a distraction tool. Um, they play a, a video game whilst it's happening, and then they, the the pain is lessened just because they're not focused on you know having the bandages changed. But yeah, that's all. That's really interesting, um, especially now that we're seeing sort of the gamification of. Um, certain apps um, being used again for dementia it was a, I think it was the world's largest dementia um, trial was conducted through a video, video game last year um, and it was just help. it was trying to get people to navigate um, it was like rivers and seas with a, a, like a, a short boating game just to all try and get that cognitive process yeah. rebooted yeah right? exactly and we got I don't know how many people we got but you know thousands hundreds of thousands or whatever um, I can't remember what it was called Maybe nautical sea quest, something like that. Um, but yeah, really cool. Sort of uh, implications for those types of technologies now. Um, and it's, it, I think it's really nice to see different industries merging together for those types of well-being goals. It, f- it feels necessary to want to con- 
combat the bigger challenges in healthcare anyway. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. Is that all, all you've got, Ian? You got uh, there's probably one bit on ageing wellness from the report that, because it feels like for the first, it feels a bit too late actually, mm. in the sense that we knew the population was going to get bigger. We knew yeah. that people were going to live longer. We knew that people were probably going to have degenerative conditions. Why hadn't the world planned for it? <laughs> I mean, because um, that makes too much sense. I mean, this probably comes back to having, you know, resources and good government. Uh, neither, well, good government doesn't exist, so <laughs> you don't get resources. But it feels like it's a talk of growing reliance on technology, but it, the world seems to have been caught cold when it comes to preparing for it. If, if that's my opinion. I don't mm. know what, what you two think. Um, it's, yeah, I don't know, Laura. Any idea? Do you know how, to, how can we solve this? <laughs> solve the world's problems, Lord, you need Prime Minister. Cool. Well, it would help, yeah, we had a Prime Minister. Yeah. Um, <laughs> would it? I think it's just money, isn't it, and resources. Yeah. Like, we did know all these things were going to happen, but we're currently trying to, you know, find cures for things like cancer and resistance that we've, mm-hmm. we're still doing. Yeah. And, and I think that we don't have enough doctors, we don't have enough nurses. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I think it's definitely sort of institutional. Yeah. Um, the fact that the system's so stretched at the moment, and I think it's going to be the same for many healthcare systems around the world eventually, because diabetes is on the rise. We wouldn't get long-term conditions being on the rise. Aging populations. Um, if obesity increases, more diseases linked or, to that. Yeah, obesity. That's a that's a good point. Um, and all of these things cost the systems money, which. And, and time and resources, which we can't cope with, uh, unfortunately. So this report is especially valid about the changing way of how healthcare is delivered into everyday settings. Yeah. And whether it's the onus is on the individual to start taking care of themselves more. But then you need government backing, you need sort of uh, awareness campaigns, in which we are, but does that correlate to people being healthy? I'm not, I'm not sure, just because somebody tells you not to eat a burger. Well, you're not going to eat a burger, because I had a burger on Sunday. <laughs> it was nice, was it? It was awesome. <laughs> Excellent. I think, um, there'll be a lot of pressure on people to pay for these things themselves. Yeah. Like these clever devices. So if you want one, you're going to have to pay for it. Yeah, definitely. The NHS can't afford to, you know, buy thousands of these and hand, hand them out. But if that's the case then, is it going to be the people that need the most getting, getting these devices and equipment? I mean... Potentially. If, 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 if that was the route... It went down. I mean, the, the way I see it is that you, it, you have a societal problem in the fact that it's probably the poorer that need these devices most, mm-hmm. and then they can't afford it. And yeah. we'll probably still have the same problem Yeah. to, to a certain extent. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, slightly depressing. But, wearables. We're back on wearables. We're back on wearables. Right. I'll, um, I'll round this off with a few quirky ones that I found. This isn't essentially quirky, but it's really useful. Um... I think Ian, you've heard of this, but it's L'Oreal's My Skin Track UV. Um, tiny little sensor which you can wear as a necklace or attach it to your clothing, and which tracks a person's exposure to UV uh, rays, air quality, and pollution. You know, I probably should get myself one of those just so I don't come back from from mainland Europe looking like a lobster all the time. Yeah, but, um... <laughs> yeah. Um, but like especially considering. Like air pollution levels are of so like much concern now. Yeah. You know, if you look at London, that's um. Didn't the, didn't the mayor just announce that we're going to ban cars for one day? Is a uh, um. 
is a sort of fair. Yeah, this is actually a new one on me. Yeah, I think, I, I think I heard it today. Or yesterday, maybe. Um, but if it, I have a sensor that measures the pollution, I can't do anything about the pollution. Well, you can't do anything, but you can avoid certain streets or roads in which air, air quality and pollution really might be particularly bad, or you can okay. go out wearing um, a filtration mask or something like that. Which Do people actually wear them? Yeah. yeah. I was, when London. I was in London last week, I saw probably a dozen, at least. Um, because it's getting that bad and pollution, it, like, it, it, it's not bad for your health, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Asthma, COPD, all these things can be traced back to potentially bad air quality. Um, and that's another thing. Governments aren't doing anything. Well, they're trying to do anything about it, but is it a, ta- is it a point that it's too late now? Uh, is it a point that's too late, or can they not be bothered? Sorry, it's, that was yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big fight, though, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's really, really tough. Um, this one's quite interesting for the life sciences aspect. Cavestral, who feature in MPN quite a lot. Yeah, and I met with them last week oh. at MDNMEs. Oh, you could have mentioned this if we found it. Maybe, well, maybe, maybe they did. Um, so they announced earlier this year that they were working with a company called Ember Labs mm-hmm. on an intelligent bracelet that allows people to hack the way they feel temperature. So, because I'm, I'm quite a cold person, both like physically and emotionally, right? <laughs> there you <laughs> go. <laughs> so, it's, um, I guess, because like, in the office, somebody's always opening a window or closing yeah. a window, and nobody's ever ever at the right temperature. It sounds like the staff and advert, but... Mentioning not. no names, but the person does frequently feature on this podcast. Yes, <laughs> right. Um, and this... Um, wearable is meant to make the wearer feel cooler or warmer by five degrees in just a few minutes. That's clever. Um, it's meant to stimulate a person's thermoreceptors, which I assume, assume is, uh, yeah, body's natural system to uh, to how they sort of uh, feel feel temperature. So I think that one's quite cool. Yeah. I'm not sure if I purchase it. Maybe I'm getting confused with an, with another wearable, but I'm pretty sure that was something like that was used for hot flushes is it the, is it the same one i'm not sure that's mm. that could be yeah, right. um, could be the same yeah, yeah that, that, that would be a really good application for it yeah i'm pretty sure i remember writing something up for the, for the recent starter mm. so, yeah oh yeah so the technology must be sort of either new or emerging if there's a, a couple of companies sort of looking at it maybe yeah i like the idea but i don't think i would no wear it. i mean i've got a I've got a cardigan on the back yeah. of my chair all year round, just in case I need to stay warm. So we've got a fan here. And, and we've got a, yeah, a fan here, which we've used, <laughs> even if it's a little bit dusty. Um, all right, and this last one I think is really cool. I'm not. I, I think it's. I'm not. I'm not sure about its actual validity, but um, <laughs> how much do you like dreaming? Mm, well. Lots because I don't get much sleep. Right. Okay. So, so it's like it, it. It's quite nice. Yeah. Yeah. Right. How much do you like lucid dreaming? Mm, you... Probably not. But go on. Not right. So when you're in control of control of things. Yeah. Yeah. Bit, bit weird. Mm. Bit weird. Bit strange. Quite cool thing. Um. This company has developed a product called Insta Dreamer, which apparently makes lucid dreaming as easy as possible through Pavlovian conditioning. So what conditioning? Pavlovian conditioning. So what that is, 
is where the subject learns to associate a previously unrelated neutral stimulus. Um, in this case, the company describes it as pinching, mm. pinching your hand. And then um, it correlates with another stimulus that elicits some kind of reaction. So this works. Um, in this, so what, what you do with this is during the day, your wrist will vibrate randomly. It's, a, it's a, um, just like a bracelet. And when that happens, you can decide how many happens. All you need to do is perform a quick reality check, right? So, you know, you're not, you're not in <laughs> you're the You're li literally pinching yourself. Yes, right. <laughs> you're literally pinching yourself, yeah. right? So you're not in the matrix, right? You're not yeah. in the dream. And then, yeah, that means, okay, you're not in the dream. During the night, as you're sleeping, the device will vibrate again while you're dreaming. How it knows that, God knows, right? You must be oh, actually, it tells you. Sleep you're in. Yeah, if I if I read a little bit further down my notes, right? Who <laughs> it said? It, Very prepared here. Yeah, <laughs> it does that using uh, REM detection technology, right? Yeah, so it checks what level of sleep you're in. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense because that's what all sleep trackers use. Yeah. Um. Anyway, as soon as it does this, you'll feel your wrist vibrate inside your dream, and um, you'll do the same thing like you did during the day, which is the fingers thing, which is part of the press. Press kit, which um, I don't know if that might have a different terminology in the northeast, but you know, anyway. Um, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and that's meant to sort of elicit a reaction that you know you're in a dream because you've had that, um, that same sort of like you know detect detection or, or or whatever, and then it just says, I mean, you can do whatever you want. So who is who is this device for? Just I guess, nut jobs. <laughs> just you know, just techies. People who are quite interested in being asleep. I'm very interested in being asleep. Yeah. How much does this cost? <laughs> um, $199. I don't have that to spare. I, I think, think that's very expensive. I don't think it's too bad, you know. I'm like, if it, if it worked, I think that's quite a cool piece of technology. I'm, I am intrigued. It, it is, yeah. Um, yeah, it does have a, um, a sort of a, a bit of a health benefit where it's, it's meant to make sure make you have a, bit, a better night's sleep and you wake up feeling refreshed. So it could be good for drugs that affect your sleep quality or something like that? Yeah, maybe, or just people who are, because I'm quite a light sleeper, um, and if it can increase the quality of your sleep, then maybe that is, you know, a really good sort of a side effect of a, of a device. But I just think the general premise of this, of this um, is really cool. There's been a couple of products I've seen that try to um, elicit the same reaction. Um, I think one was a, a headband, which um, stimulated, but I don't know, did brain function during the night somehow just by a sort of a certain okay. waveforms and that was meant to get you into a deeper REM sleep and potentially you know help lucid dream and start um I'd rather a watch than a headband yeah exactly and the reason the company made it as a watch was so because I don't know if you've ever used an eye mask but yeah I've used one yeah I, f I feel like it gets in the way sometimes if you're yeah, having a bad night's sleep yeah it's just a bit of comfort isn't it yeah um so yeah it's, it's meant to be Quite just like a, a subtle way of um, causing it, but I think I, I, I yeah I'd try it. I think I would. I'd try I'd... it if they sent one out to the office. <laughs> right. Address to follow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like you know, if I had some spare cash lying about, I'd do that. Maybe potentially. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. Just see, because if that worked, that'd be quite, quite weird. I'm not sold. You're not sold? I'm, I'm a maybe. I, I think Ian just wants bed. Yeah, <laughs> I do. You're just, just, a, just a pillow. 
This might be a future podcast episode, you never yeah. know. Ian, Ian gets in bed. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's um, it's a Kickstarter type of thing. I think it's available on Indiegogo. $199 is the, uh, the minimum asking price. Um, I think you can get two for 280 or something like that. I'm, I'm just, you know, getting all the information out there. It's not a plug. But, you know, it could be a plug. I can't get over Ian gets some bed. That's the next... Next title for a podcast episode. <laughs> That's fine. This one's Ian gets political. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we'll um, we'll close it off there, guys. <laughs>